Hey SEOs and content marketers, say goodbye to crazy spreadsheet mashups and experience unprecedented connectivity between your SEO planning and reporting data. Introducing Audience Key, technology for keyword mapping, content brief automation, and rank tracking that form an SEO strategy system providing unparalleled feedback loops between planning, reporting, and optimization activities. Put your time and energy into strategy, not data upkeep. Visit audiencekey.com and apply for a free trial today. WMR.FM. It is the 8th of June, 2023, and uh, it's the beginning of um, Sapia season, I guess. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media and Christine Schackinger from uh, Sites Without Walls. Um, I'm broadcasting from Toronto, uh, close to the American Eastern Seaboard, under a pall of smoke today. It's amazing. It looks like a scene from Blade Runner. It's literally orange outside. That's scary. It's terrifying. I've never, ever, yeah. ever seen anything like this. And the weird thing is, um, we have wildfires every year. Like, this, this isn't an, un, an unnormal occurrence. What is unnormal is the size, scope, and uh, intensity of the, uh, of the wildfires uh, burning across the uh, Northern Ontario, Northern Quebec, Northern Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and British Columbia right now. Um, oh, also, also in uh, the uh, Maritime Provinces, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick. Um, massive forest fires. Um, largest fire season on record, and um, this is really early in the season. It's uh, just the first week of June. Um, it's not even summer yet. Um, yeah, so the eastern seaboard is covered with smoke until further notice, and there's no sign the fires are going out anytime soon. Yeah, that's really scary. We had a few years back, and California had some of their worst first fire season, mm. and uh, in Vegas, you know, about we're about a couple hours from the one, uh, was we were just enveloped in smoke. So it's, it's, it's horrible. It feels like something apocalyptic, I think. Well, it is kind of something apocalyptic. Um, <laughs> on a lot of different scales, it's hard to concentrate. It's getting increasingly hard to sleep. I woke up several times last night coughing. I quit. Sm I used to smoke a pack a day or more. And um, I quit smoking about eight years ago. And my lungs feel incredible. It's um, for anybody who's, who still smokes cigarettes, honest to goodness, it's night and day. Um, um, I, I don't want to be a horrible non-smoker, but it really, it is night and day. You'd be surprised. <laughs> um, and it feels, my lungs feel like they did when I was smoking cigarettes, like a pack a day of cigarettes. And um, again, waking up in the middle of the night with coughing fits, that hasn't happened in a decade. Um, <clears throat> even right now, I can feel the tickle in my throat from the amount of smoke and particulates hanging in the air. And I'm inside in a closed building. Yeah, if you're um, coughing today, it's not because of COVID, it's because of fire. Uh, yeah, so, you know, forgive yeah. people on the subway. But you know yeah. what? If you're out and about in, uh, in the areas that are covered in smoke right now, wear a mask. You have an N95 or an equivalent yep. thereof left over from COVID days, put it back on. The particulates that are hanging in the air are, um, well, how to say this? There's, there's wood and soot that you're breathing into your lungs. These are carcinogens. They will affect you in the long run if you breathe a lot of it. Just like if you breathe a lot of cigarette smoke, it will probably affect you in the long run. 
Um, you don't want uh, this in your lungs. Yeah, today they had uh, uh, Vin Gupta, who's a medical analyst for NBC and MSNBC News, talk about the effects of it. Uh, and uh, he's, he's like, it's no joke. If you're one thing, don't go exercise in it. Uh, don't go out for a run, even with a mask on. Uh, the other thing is it can affect women who are pregnant and their um, fetuses or, you know, their babies, unborn babies. And uh, so you want to be very careful, uh, like Jen said, to make sure you wear an N95 mask, not just a regular mask, but an N95 mask. I'm sure you have a bunch around the house somewhere uh, so that you can protect yourself if you have to go out. And if you don't have to go out, don't go out in it. It is uh, dangerous. It's not just awfully irritating on your eyes and your lungs, but it, as Jen said, it also you breathe in a lot of bad stuff, too. So. Yeah. Now, yeah. the part that I think in a, in a business sense, that's, that's almost apocalyptic, and I don't know, that's, that's a very big word. Um, it looks apocalyptic outside, that's for sure, is it's hard to concentrate. And there's, you know, we all, we're all working. We're all doing, and, you know, important and intelligent and um, often meticulous stuff. And I'm telling you, Christine, um, I'm good for a couple of hours and I start getting tired. And I know I'm not operating on 100%. There's, there's, there's just no way. Um, I, I don't feel like I'm operating 100%. And it's this, it's this damn smoke ball. Oh, yeah, definitely. When we had it here also, it just was very, um, just very eerie. You know, the sun was like, like this red, bright red dot yeah. behind all the smoke. And we could see the fire, the light of the fire. So you're not as close to that. But the light of the fire behind the mountains here and you, didn't know if it was going to come over the mountain and start coming into the city. So it's a very uh, preoccupying event, let's yeah. say. So it's well, no no wonder it's hard to concentrate. Also because, as we both know, that the accelerated fires in Canada are due to climate change issues as well. So it took a normal fire and makes everything bigger. I think sometimes people don't realize it. Climate change often just means something that normally would have happened becomes much worse. A hurricane, maybe it would be a five instead of a three, or a, the fires may have been one place in Canada now are all over northern Canada. Sorry to interrupt, Jim. I was just going to say, also, if you have not seen where the fires are, just look up a map today, um, you know, search for one, and you can see how incredibly vast this set of fires is. It's, it's immense. Oh, absolutely. A really good resource out there, if, you're, if people are interested, is uh, firesmoke.ca. Firesmoke.ca gives you maps. Um, uh, showing the direction that smoke plumes are going in and uh, not if you're like if you're in Detroit or Toronto, Buffalo, New York City, uh, Albany, Montreal, Quebec City, whatever. Uh, you're probably not going anywhere. So but it'll tell you how much smoke is going over you. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, that's that's how we're starting this week. And it's a very weird, a very weird way to start the week. Um so yeah, I'm not, I'm I'm a little worried about AI killing us all, but evidence suggests that we're going to do it to ourselves first. <laughs> um, That's but, laugh at, but kind of yeah. Um, there was a uh, okay. Just while we're on that, so this is a great segue into it. There was a story last week about um, a real world test in which a AI influenced or augmented Air Force drone somehow ended up killing its operator. As it turns out, the story of that operator's <laughs> demise was greatly exaggerated because this was a thought experiment, not an actual experiment. And according to um, uh, Colonel Hamilton, he misspoke 
uh, in a presentation. Um, and uh, nobody would actually conduct this experiment in the real world because that would be very stupid. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, even it kind of shows uh, how difficult this stuff is, right? This kernel thought that this was a real thing, like a real um, simulation as opposed to just a rogue AI drone simulation. That was just a thought experiment. Um, so you have to be very careful about things nowadays and making sure you check all the sources, especially if you're a colonel in the military. Just phenomenal. I mean, this is fun. That, that's just phenomenal. Um, yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is a world where, where um, to, to, to again use Mark Twain as a quote, um, uh, a lie circles around the world before the truth even has time to get its pants on. Yeah, um, yeah, because um, uh, the, the representative in the House of Representatives Adam Kinzinger, he had shared it and then he deleted it, but they didn't, you know, sometimes we all have done it, you know, you think something's real and then you share it and then you get told by a friend, uh, you might want to take that down because that's not actually a thing. And you're like, oh no, I'm sorry. And you take it down, but he got caught in the same kind of thing. Yeah. But we just have to be more careful, much more careful now. In his um, weekly lament, um, CEO of OpenAI, <laughs> Sam Altman, uh, told uh, uh, the vice chairman of um, uh, Times Internet in India. Um, uh, 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 I'm sorry, told, told the vice chairman of Times Internet um, that uh, something really bad could happen because of potential AI risks. Um, yeah. Sam, getting uh, more and more explicit, said, what I lose most sleep about is the hypothetical idea that we have already done something really bad by launching ChatGPT. Now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, 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 we have, I will not say the person's name for respect, um, but they, I, we do have a mutual friend who actually knows him and says he's a very, very nice person. And I said, I am very glad to hear that. But he did release this. And I'm going to, this is just my belief because he needed funding and didn't really think about what could happen when that happened. So I think maybe at first I thought his responses were kind of like covering himself, but I kind of start to think that maybe he actually starting to realize uh, what he might have done. So well, they are going to be at DEF CON this year, uh, OpenAI, as I hope he comes. Get the interview. So that, Elbow oh. your way in, beat other people <laughs> up, seriously hurt somebody, but get that interview. Uh, well, the, I, 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 could, I probably know people who could get that to happen, but, but the thing would be, um, if he really wants to know what could happen, he really should come to DEF CON personally. And I don't mean just as a visitor, you know, who comes and is escorted in and escorted out. Like uh, Representative Swalwell from California, when we we're having the voting machine concerns, he came to DEF CON and he talked to people. He was surrounded, you know, of course, by security and stuff, but, but he still, he talked to people. And if Altman wants to really know what could happen with his, his uh, inventions, then he should come to DEF CON and talk to people individually, because I'm sure many of them have already been working hard on figuring out what they can do with it. So. Oh, indeed. Um, oh, and it will tell you, by the way, I got think? it to tell me, I got it to tell me how to hack some of it. So. I just worded it in a way that it didn't trip the, I can't tell you that because I am an AI system, so. Well, interestingly, um, 
Somebody, I'm sure at DEF CON, is going to release the how to prompt AI in such a way that it doesn't know oh. that you're. But Microsoft, oh. that's a nice thing. Before you change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before you change. Sorry, just going to let you. That is actually part of the AI village. They will teach you how to prompt inject if you sure. attend DEF CON this year. Yeah. In such yeah. a way that it doesn't mess up whatever safeguards are, you yes. know, or it doesn't trigger whatever safeguards um, exist in the uh, system that you are. Uh, prompting your way in through. And can I just say real quickly, that is yeah. the problem about security with a large language model, right? Because when you do regular security, it's like if else statements, whatever in a code, you know, there are ways to secure your code. How do you secure language? If I just figure out the right way to ask a human a question, they'll tell me the answer without me actually asking a direct question, right? It's kind of similar with large language models people are discovering. Um, that you can get it to tell you stuff if you just know the right questions to ask because it's a language model. So how do you protect against someone answering, asking a question in a way that it'll answer? And I don't know that you can do that. Okay. Microsoft, <laughs> given the costs of generative AI, um, and it costs a lot of money for um, AI to um, come up with an answer to any given thing, given... Okay, you know how um, as SEOs, we always tell our clients reduce payload. Um, don't make uh, the browser have to download all that JavaScript every time it makes a request for a page or whatever, whatever, you know, where we're always telling our clients like, be reduce easy load. on the browser, right? <laughs> yeah. Imagine every time a prompt is made uh, to the AI system, it has to generate a response. And to generate the response, it's got to go through all of its corpus of knowledge, which is a lot of stuff, you know. Um, Not corpus of knowledge. Remember, it's predictive text. It is. Well, okay, it's corpus of stuff that it was trained on. How's that? Yeah, predictive text. It's got to create an answer. Well, it does. And to do that, it has to review what it knows about that topic. About language. And to do language. that, it has to... Um, use a huge amount of com computational energy. You know how many chats uh, Microsoft has had since it started? Uh, billions, I'd imagine. Not billions, yeah, but half a billion chats. Is that all? And two, 200 million images. Well, when did it start? Like two months ago? Oh, more than that, actually. This is June. Three months? February. Is, like February. the year's half over. We're moving into quarter three in a couple okay, of weeks. Four. four months. It's been open four months. By the way, doesn't that blow your mind? It's 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 Q three in just a couple of weeks. I know it's crazy. And by the way, it was seventy seven in Vegas yesterday, which would normally be in three digits in June. So. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. There's a pall of smoke over my city today. It normally would be blue skies. So, you know, <laughs> exactly. welcome to the club. Exactly. Um, so anyway, you were saying the cost of. I just wanted to let the cost know is in. phenomenal. So again, I want to liken it to what we tell our clients: reduce reduce payload because going to cost the search engines a heck of a lot of money to run all this uh, all this code that's found in your head that's probably not gonna. Well, it's the same thing for uh, the same sort of phenomena happens for the search tools when they augment search results using um, AI, generative AI. It's costing, I think you, you read a stat to me uh, before the show, Christine, that um, using AI in 
composition in search results is uh, costing Google on average, I'm not sure how they figure this out, but uh, like a thousand times more, like say in energy production oh. or something, um, energy usage than it would to have a traditional search result. It, it could. The reason that, that Google's model, so Google could use a more advanced model like ChatGPT, hmm? but they don't, and which is causing them problems because people are like, why is Google not as good? Because the ChatGPT style model will cost a thousand times more and we don't know specifically what they mean but i'm going with probably energy and gpu consumption because gpus are what they use to run the language models and they're very expensive so this is clearly a problem for microsoft and so, anybody so to get around that problem microsoft is trying to teach people how to prompt yes this is actually a really <laughs> big deal for them um and i think actually this is probably a good idea um i sort of think that that uh career as a uh, uh, AI prompter was probably a little pie in the sky. Um, I don't know if there's going to be great careers as AI prompters in the future, but Microsoft's going to make it easy if you do want to be that. Um, uh, uh, so, and hopefully it'll, uh, it'll leave people to making um, not only better prompts, but if Microsoft can guide people to writing prompts in such a way that it can make generative AI a useful part of search. Um, again, I'm sure that I'm not sure if that's possible, but I am sure that if it is, it comes from how it's prompted and what the user wants to use it for. Well, and also the user getting what they want would definitely reduce the number of prompts that they would give. Although I don't think this is really going to be that successful because we've seen how people search, you know, when you see the we don't know people individually who are searching, but you can see the words that they typed in. Um, and and if, if after 20 something years, people are still having trouble with that, I don't know how they're gonna do it. Well, so we'll see. Well, so. I've been using um, the Chrome OpenAI uh, browser extension, which um, has a handy feature when, when, you're, when you're using Google. Um, it brings um, the, it brings a, it brings open AI to the Google search. It's not barred. It's not what Google's offering up in its, in its uh, search experience. Because you are blocked. <laughs> yeah, because I am blocked because my government is having a, a stat with Google at the moment. Um, <laughs> they're going to be restricting people's news access too very soon. It's very annoying. Oh, wow. That's yeah. Annoying. yeah, I mean, like, like, honest to goodness, if it has to go through you, but you're not letting me have it, how dare you? Um, another issue altogether. Um, so... Every time, so again, Microsoft wants to teach you how to prompt properly. Um, I've been finding it very useful, but you kind of got to, how to say this? You kind of got to understand that the information that gets served up in relation to the query may or may not be right. Yes, and that's it where it gets hard. <laughs> Because it yeah, looks I right, it. Um, I have. Uh, uh, I asked earlier today. I asked um, OpenAI what the most controversial event in the last fifty years was, and it wrote a um, seven or eight paragraph essay. Nine eleven, by the way, was the most controversial event in the last fifty years, given everything that stemmed from it. Really, um, like taking okay. down the wall wasn't a big one. Uh, yeah, 9-11 uh, had a much, <laughs> much, much, much bigger impact than, uh, the, than the fall of the Soviet Union. 
um, yeah. on the world. Um, and anyway, it was a really thoughtful and well-written answer, extraordinarily well-written answer that had several factual errors in it. And, and yeah. again, I'm saying this was literally seven to nine paragraphs long. And the answer was brilliant. Had the student had a student written this and then re-edited it two or three times and and weeded out the false information that was in there, then um, it would have been a university level response to a to, 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 to a prompted question. Um, but there was a good deal of misinformation involved in what was again what I thought a very smart, quick response. Spotting it is the trick. Yeah, well, that's the thing. So because it's a, I, I again will restate my belief that these do not belong in search because people confuse them as search engines and they are not. They are predictive text. They train like ChatGPT. I don't know how many documents Google trained on. They haven't told us. Um, trained down a trillion documents with 780 billion parameters on uh, ChatGPT four, I believe it was. Could be 3.5. And so it knows how to speak. It knows how to predict the next word in a sentence that would most likely be used. And it uses semantic embeddings to like ground it, like being used as like you search for this, so it knows that these things are related to each other. And so it won't say something silly like, uh, I want to take my dog out for a walk. How do I do that? Well, you can make it fly. Like it knows not to have a dog fly because that's not related semantically. But it is not a search engine. So, you know, so when you get misinformation or disinformation in there, it's not intentionally trying to do that. It's just as using, it's predicting the next most likely thing in a sentence, which in what it trained on were what you saw as the factual errors, right? So, so people have to be really careful of that. And I do think that Bing and Google and ChatGPT are both very remiss in not making that extremely clear on those systems because people who don't know things about a thing are gonna search. Like if I did sports, I could search about sports. I wouldn't know if something was accurate or not most of the time because I don't follow a lot of sports. So I would go in and I'd put that out there. I'd write it a paper, I'd do an article, I'd use it as my research, but it's not research because they just it made it up because it didn't know. Just like the Guardian had all these people asking him for articles that they never wrote because ChatGPT made it up. People will see citations in ChatGPT and they think that's a real citation, but it's not. Large language models can't cite where they got the information because it's not a knowledge base. It's a predictive text model. So it trains like a human, like when you're little and you learn your ABCs and then you read little books and except they did it on a trillion documents. And then it was trained to sound super confident to human beings by using human beings to chat with for, it. And for yeah. what it's worth, Christine, in the example, in the um, incidents I was encountering ChatGPT in my search results, the plugin for Chrome was making it perfectly clear. It had a number of warnings. Oh, that's good. That's good. The limitations, yeah. um, the fact that it often comes up with uh, false information, and that um, it very likely cannot offer you any information on anything past some date in December 2001. Oh, I'm sorry, 2021. 2021. 2021. <laughs> um, yeah, 9-11's on my mind. Um, 2021. So it was, so the version that I'm using, every time I use it, this little warning screen comes up and it's fairly, and I got to click, I got to click through that warning screen. I'm sure there's a way to toggle that off. I haven't found it yet. Um, so it's been fairly explicit with me, and which I appreciate. But um, and again, I found it very useful, but yeah. I'm also or I have been in my past a media literacy trainer and I'm pretty good at um, knowing what is and isn't factual. And I'm even better at knowing 
that I need to double check everything because I don't actually know. I know that for sure, <laughs> unless I right. double and triple check and get it verified because that's that, that's good research. Exactly, exactly. But people, it, it's great that the plugin does it, but the websites don't. Google doesn't put it like a mass. It just says information quality may something something like no one's reading that. So I do think it's remiss. I don't think they belong in search, as I've said, because they're not search engines and they people think they're search engines and then they get wrong information. Um, and that's, no one, like, that's not you know good. One, and that will, by the way, real quick. You know one thing I use a search trust. I'm sorry? Okay. I just say that'll decrease people's trust in being in Google uh, as products. You know one thing I use a search engine for very, very frequently? What's that? The dictionary, spelling. I, mm -hmm. I can't spell to save my life and I'm a writer. Um, <laughs> I can use spell check, certainly, but I want to make sure the word I'm using is exactly the right word. And so I very frequently take one single word, go to Google, consider it really heavily, go to Google Trends, consider, you know, a whole choice of different words I might use. And, you know, writers, this is the writer's hell. You can literally spend hours on or long minutes on single words. And um, the spelling of a word. I'm not, I'm Canadian, so I, I have the extraneous U in very many words. Um, we spell slightly differently, but the spelling of the word is, in English is fairly constant. doesn't change often, um, in fact, ever, unless you got an extraneous U in there. Um, for things like that, I find AI can be, again, extremely helpful. There's, there's not going to be a change here. It hasn't changed in in almost a century. Um, math, chances are, <laughs> chances are one and one is going to equal two, um, even if you're doing advanced trigonometry. Now, Google Bard um, has just released a uh, engineer, a well-named, because it's named by engineers, uh, implicit code execution. Um, it is now able to, uh, with with thirty percent more accuracy, <laughs> deal with internal logic challenge tests. It's better at math. It's better at data uh, data uh, analysis, and it's able to take um, its computations and export it directly into Google Sheets. Which means, of course, you can copy and paste it into Excel and feed it to uh, OpenAI because they'll teach you how to prompt it properly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so again, I think there's a lot of useful applications and, you know, as I was saying, math, probably not going to change that much over time. The, uh, sure. as long as you're not inputting garbage, you should but, get good results but, out. It's predictive text, not generate, doesn't generate calculations. So there have been people who have tested and have found it's been very wrong. So even though it might be more accurate than language. 30% more accurate. Yeah, but it still has this too. Well, so. indeed, and then the reason I'm exaggerating the thirty percent is that implies that there's seventy percent unaccurate. You know what I mean? Like it was thirty percent more accurate. What happened to that other seventy percent? Exactly, but it, but but the thing is, it's great as an assistive tool. I don't want to sound like I'm down on it as a tool. It should be a tool, but not for things you don't know about. Like I saw people, you know, in our industry. Oh, I just had it write a whole application for me. I don't know anything about programming. It's like no, don't do that because. You could be introducing in security risks to people's computers or their browsers or to people's phones, and you would have no idea because you don't write code and you don't know what's good or bad. People who write code have told me they find tons of errors in there and they fix them, but it's great because when they're stuck on something and not sure how to get to the next step, then they put it in and they 
gets them a place to start from. It gives them some code to start from. So that's fine. And I mean, most programmers will tell you, they never write their own code from scratch. They always borrow from other people that other, you know, coders. So that's fine. But just don't use it. Rule of thumb, just don't use it for things you don't know. Because if you don't know that it's giving you false information, then you'll do something with it that you probably don't want the blowback for. Okay. Um, nothing, <laughs> nothing to say back to that. So there you go. Um, that is one of our last AI stories for the day. Uh, we oh, got, one more. Uh, oh, what do, one, what do we one got? One, one more. more. Oh, okay. Yes, the, the fake AI from Bing. To Google, did you? Did I did not. You hear which about is that? this one? I did not um, hear about this. You didn't hear about this one. Oh my gosh. Oh, it's is this really where? Good. Is this where you when you go to Bing and you try to get Chrome and it goes, yeah, no. Basically, it doesn't go no, but it, it gives you a generated search answer that's fake. Okay, so, so for, for the radio audience, exactly what happens to make this happen? What, what's this all about? Uh, so uh, the, the, uh, the writer at The Verge was trying to download Chrome on a new Windows 11 computer, and he typed it in to the Microsoft Edge search bar. And he was uh, greeted with a full Microsoft Bing AI chatbot window, uh, the chat search. And it promptly told me it was searching for Bing features, not Chrome, what he asked for. And then uh, he said, I picked up my jaw off the floor and tried again. Same result every time, same exact text too. Um, by the way, chat doesn't usually produce the same exact text every time. Uh, so this is clearly not Microsoft's GPT-4 powered chatbot uh, at work. It's a completely canned interaction. And so what they do is they have a canned interaction that basically says, Bing, the search engine that does more than just search. And it's a whole basically, half page ad about why you should be using Bing and not Chrome. So when you search for Chrome on Edge, you will get that. That's <laughs> So if you try to do what, like what everybody does, you got your new computer, yes. your new computer doesn't have Chrome on it, but it very likely uh, comes with Windows. And so if it's got Windows, it's got Edge. You go to Edge and you do what everyone does. You type in, uh, chrome.google.com and it gives you that a generated response saying yeah but you probably want to check me out instead <laughs> that's amazing did they, get did they once get in trouble for packing a whole bunch of stuff on like this back in the 90s maybe but then they get in a huge amount of trouble for forcing people to use only the applications that were on their yeah. desktop yes they did they did that's i think of, it was in 2000 though that's kind uh, of the same but, thing you won't get the result because they once the reporter contacted them, they removed it. Oh my god! <laughs> so. Well, that's cheeky. Yeah, after he published it, I'm sorry, I'm not contacted, but published it. It, it. it was turned off moments after the story was published. Is the is the update on the story? So I thought that was kind of fun, funny. Speaking of stuff that was should have been turned off moments after it was published. Okay, this one actually, you know what? I, I tried to make a jokey uh, intro to this, but there's no way to make a joke about this or a jokey intro. Instagram um, is uh, hopefully doing its very best to stop a problem that it seemingly allowed knowingly to evolve and continue. Um, Instagram's algorithms have been openly and knowingly used by pedophiles to network and hook themselves up with each other. Moreover, Instagram demonstrably understood this was happening because 
published warnings that the material being sought might be of a sexual nature involving children. Yes. And it allowed people to prompt to either continue to see the information or not see the information, which suggests quite strongly that Instagram was absolutely aware of the material that this network of searchers that it helped create and ferment. So this is how um, Meta's interest-based algorithms work. Um, so yeah, this got published today. What do you, I don't even know what to make of this, Christine. It's just stunning. Well, I think the stunning part about it is the, and this is an investigation by Wall Street Journal, Stanford University, and the University of Massachusetts at Amherst, not exactly, you, you know. Yeah, these aren't lightweights. These, these are people yeah, who care about information. For. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, yeah, that they, they, in quotes, the algorithms not only host, but promote a vast pedophilia network that advertises illegal child sex material advertises illegal child sex. What the heck? Yeah, and its algorithms promote them. Instagram connects pedophiles and guides them to connect content sellers via recommendation system that excel at linking those who share niche interests. The joint investigation by WSJ and the academic researchers found that in, that with their testing. So I, I don't know what you say that. I mean, these the, the hash, some of the hashtags they use Pardon me for repeating this, but I think it's for emphasis of Indeed. this wasn't that it wasn't that hidden. Um, one of the hashtags was preteen sex. So, like, why would you allow that hashtag on your system, on right? Because as we know, yeah, as we know, Facebook has moderators, right? And they they see horrible, awful stuff every day, and they flag it and they remove it from the system. So this isn't just not them their algorithms going haywire or not understanding. Their algorithms actively promoting this. Who? Why wasn't anybody Instagram or Facebook monitoring this? How did they not see this was happening? It wasn't like a one-time thing. This was vast networks of. And indeed, my, my first reaction to this story is, well, algorithms will do what algorithms will do. Um, and then I actually looked at the story, and Facebook was aware. Oh no, sorry, Meta was aware. They have to have been. Yeah, and they, and they said that um, Meta stated in January alone it removed 490,000 accounts that violated its child safety regulations and 27 pedophile networks in the last two years. So it's not that it hasn't done anything, but still, was there, I mean, that's at Meta. Maybe they weren't monitoring Instagram very well. I don't know. Maybe they, they fired a lot of people, laid off a lot of people last year. Laid off is a nice word for being fired. Um, you know, maybe they removed a lot of their moderation teams. I don't know. But someone obviously was asleep at the wheel because, yeah. This is a very real story as much as um, I'd like to, I'd like it not to be. Um, the only way to police, to really police um, pedophilia on the internet is user complaints. If you see it, call somebody. If you're in Canada or even in the United States, you can call the OPP, the Ontario Provincial Police. They have a specific uh, child sex crimes unit um, set up looking for kiddie porn. They're one of the leading organizations in the world going after um, child porn. If you don't want to call a Canadian police service, call the FBI. But if you see it, honestly, say something. Every image that involves children sexually is some child that was raped. It's 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 
unacceptable is too weak a word, but it yeah, is it up is. to us as internet users to take responsibility for what we see. Yeah, definitely. And it's not just an Instagram problem. We also found um, accounts offering to sell uh, child sex abuse material on Twitter. So it's, it's anywhere that you see it. But, you know, you, you report it, obviously, to the social network if you see anything hinting of that. It doesn't have to be you saw a horrible image. It could just be you can tell that people are um, interacting in that way. Uh, but also uh, then reported to your your government, uh, in our case, the United States, it's the FBI. They have a special division for that. You can go to the website and find out where you can make the reports. You can call it in or put in a form anonymously. Uh, or as Jim said, uh, he just gave you details in Ontario. So you can, you can call the RCMP if you're in other provinces. But honestly, goodness, the Ontario Provincial Police would love to hear from you on this. And um, uh, uh, again, this is something that Meta should be doing themselves and yeah, i expect they, that they will them. be yeah well they the could future... they built... yeah i'm sorry. sorry i didn't mean to talk over you uh i was just gonna say they did uh, did in their response to this uh, they have put together a task force to go through it and to figure it out um what's going on and why they weren't catching it my guess is though that they're understaffed in that department and those people are probably way underpaid to do what they do Seriously, yeah. given given the billions of dollars in profits that 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 these platforms are bringing in, that's just not good enough. No, so, no, it's not good enough. It is not an excuse by any means. They and truthfully, um, at some point they should, if this continues this kind of stuff, they should face criminal action. Yeah. I don't know, company or personally, but one of the two. Absolutely agreed. Okay, I, we needed to report on that. It's a, it's an awful awful subject, um, but. It's a story that 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 is very real. And you, you just can't let that go past without reporting on it, especially given um, the importance of Instagram in, in our marketing ecosystem. Um, I'm drawing huge traffic on one of my e-com sites from Instagram. Oh, my God. It is amazing. I'm not kidding. Like, seriously, it's amazing. Um, so <laughs> these 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 child's be it, that, that platform being used for child sex directly impacts us as SEOs. It cannot be used that way. Okay. Um, besides okay. which, okay, fun SEO stuff. Finally, I want to start with a really dumb one. This is this is like the weird SEO theory. Okay. Okay. Have you ever heard of index float? Yes, I, I have a site with it. I've never heard of that. I don't. I, I don't believe it exists. What the? What the hell? Google's no. Google will index anything it possibly can. Well, you know, there's this thing about your. Um, I just came off of four days of camping off grid, so my brain's a little fried. I mean, you can you you what can do we call it when you, you can you can you can have crawl limits. Crawl okay, limits. there is crawl limits that I agree it's on. It's not, but there's not really for small sites. Like it's not, it's you know, I mean, they're never going to hit it. There's no but, such thing. But there's there's only so much of a site Google will crawl. But what if so. what if every one of your pages is um, lightweight? I mean, it's got it's got a good um, head section. Um, it, it may well be serving things through Java or CSS, but it's doing it wisely and smartly. Um, it's doing all the right things. Um, every page 200 is okay. Results in 200 status. So, you know, have assuming... you ever seen a site like that? 
This is an imaginary site. Oh, well, of course it's imaginary. <laughs> but, 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 but I mean, the whole idea of index bloat, I think, is imaginary too. So why not talk hypothetical, talk hypotheticals? If it's good information, Google will index it. If you got craptastic stuff, sure, Google might pass it over. But I don't believe in index bloat just because you got a big site. No, no. I mean, okay, I had a site that um, had, when you used to be able to go into remove the report, where you could see like what pages Google has discovered and not like in the other reports now where it's like pages discovered not indexed not like that like literally everything it discovered um i looked at my client site and it was two billion and i counted it three times to make sure i had the zeros right and i was like why do we have two billion pages reported in google right and uh and uh they they had a faceted nav leak and so every time google and a dynamic site that created pages so every time google hit something in the menu it created a new page for it and it's like, hey, blue sock, size eight, rayon, blah, 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 all the filters. All the <laughs> I hate that. Oh, my goodness. So yeah. search result. And they only had 2 million products. So, so that, uh, but this site also ranked number one for incredibly competitive terms, was visited by Google multiple times a day because of the e-commerce site. So, it, it, yeah, it's, it's a myth. Uh, what, he, what Google, what John said is, uh, you know, there's no such concept of index bloat. He said, Google systems don't artificially limit the number of pages indexed per site, and they don't. And like you said, if you have good content, they will crawl it. But there's also the truth that if you have a lot of pages that are like, the content's not that great, or it's just mediocre, they're just probably gonna ignore it. So that's the stuff you see in your search console where it's like discovered, but not indexing. It's yeah. Like, because we don't have any need for your content, this content. So, but yeah, there's no real limit. John was saying there's like, it's not like we get to a thousand pages and we're done. So, so there's yeah. no such thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that was that was from the weird SEO file theory. Like, you know, I've, <laughs> I've never heard of index float before. I've been I've been I've been doing this as long as long as you have. Oh. I've never heard that. And now oh, again. I Again, like we both we both seen recently what happens when you have like way too much crap in your head. <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah. Um the, you don't go to the right Facebook groups. I'll send you to the right <sighs> Facebook group where you'll well, see that mentioned. <laughs> Well, but it might frustrate you and ruin your day, so you may not want to go there. <laughs> well, indeed, I've 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 stopped arguing SEO with people on Facebook for the good of my health because <laughs> yes, exactly. I don't you know what I don't need to be right on Facebook. I really don't. I just I just I, it's it's oh. it's Facebook. <laughs> like you know, well, it's anybody, Facebook. Anybody who knows me, there are things I will be I will tell people about because it harms clients. And that's the stuff I will I will sp speak about. But if you have a theory of index float, whatever, <laughs> it's fine. I'll just let you think that's real. By the way, yeah. if you want to go harm clients, make sure they know my name. I'm harm them as much as you want afterwards, because I'm going to pick up your pieces <laughs> and make good money for it. Exactly, that's what I do. I rescue sites. So. Um, indeed. I'm a site rescuer. <laughs> okay, rescue this. There's a Mailchimp is reporting a uh, Gmail glitch that is sending um, a lot of its newsletters, like Mailchimp specifically, which are probably the most most uh, well used uh, mass mail system on the internet. Um, if you use Mailchimp, chances are your uh, email newsletter or communication is ending up in someone's spam folder by default. But because of a uh, uh, a glitch at Google, that both Mailchimp and Google are aware of. 
but can't fix yet. But can't fix so, yet. Yeah, but it, it shows up in your email open rates will nosedive if you're having this problem. So you'll find out that suddenly nothing's being opened. Why? Oh, it's this, not something good. Okay, now, now email um, marketing is still a uh, really significant traffic driver. Um, until they get this fixed, you gotta, what, what would you tell your clients to do? Like, how do you, how, how do you solve this? It's a really hard one, right? Because email still, most people probably don't know this, is still one of the highest converting methods of reaching your user, higher than organic or paid search. So are I we talking really like all caps in the subject line? Look no, here. I, no, because you're not going to see it. In fact, MailChimp even said it's outside their own system. This is happening. It's not happening in their platform. So they don't know how to fix it. I would say you might have to use an alternative company for a while and test and see if you get results. Uh, you may, you know, go back to MailChimp for sure because you have your history and everything set up there. But you have some important email campaigns and you're really relying on that money. You might try an alternative uh, for the meantime because it's a MailChimp problem. It's not like a, every email system. And again, so, like, like like Christine said, it's a MailChimp problem that isn't MailChimp's problem. Yeah, then there are no real details. It just says it occurs outside their platform, so it's hard to say when it'll be fixed. So that's that's not. I've never had that actually. Yeah, they it's can't fix it. Platform. Because it's not us, but we'll fix it, but it's not yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. The, the MailChimp can't fix it, but they'll happily talk to anybody who can. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's not them. It's, again, it's probably Google, and it's probably like some stupid, stupid uh, IP-based blacklist that has simply yeah. found every possible MailChimp IP under the sun. Um, I bet you're using AI and has, uh, <laughs> you know, put it all on one big master blacklist. That would be my guess. Um, very possible. Yeah. My email, ha that happened to my email once. Uh, people were sending me emails like, and I wasn't getting any of them. And I tried, I mean, I tried to send people email, I'm sorry. And they would never get them, not spam folder, nothing. It was completely blacklisted because somebody spoofed my email address and they were using it to send spam, even though it wasn't my actual email address. What I would do if I had clients using uh, MailChimp is number one, I would go look at past open rates and see what system uh email system the majority of people who opened the uh email communications were using chances are it's going to be something like gmail if that's the case go look at your gmail screen your default gmail screen most of the time and see if there's any way um that a percentage of people you're sending it to might have a screen that will show them the first couple of uh emails that come into a spam show them the, the 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 header on the couple of emails that come into the spam file or i'm sorry the subject line and then you might capture some fraction of of your uh previous open rates but like christine said you probably your best bet is using another temporarily using another email system but mailchimp has all those juicy stats that you want to keep your hands on yeah, and your lists and your history. And so I wouldn't yeah. advise like changing, but it's good to have a backup system on anything that you do online so that you have another way to do things. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So um, these ones are neat. We, we, in, in, in our show notes, we have, um, this relates to Google SERPs, but the composition of Google SERPs, search engine result pages. And um, 
Do you remember back in the day when uh, when Rand and, and uh, SEO Moz were selling page sculpting um, uh, or, or selling like you could sculpt your page rank and the energy, like, sculpt yeah. the energy of Google going through your page? <laughs> my like, link juice. I know people hate that word, but it's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, and there was theoretically there was you know it was a, 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 a there was some interesting theory behind the idea. Put it that way. Uh, the veracity of 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 link sculpting. Uh, I'm not so sure, but um, the theory was was you know that's fun to play with um, when you when when you're sitting around with a bunch of SEOs having drinks, stuff like that is really is fun mental games. A new one, which I think actually has like a good foundational substance, SERP composition. You can actually do things that affect the way Google will um, compose search engine results, and that's responsible SEO. I don't think you can package that and sell it in the box. Sorry, Rand, but it's um, still good to think about, I wanna do this with my client because they satisfy condition X, Y, or Z, you know? The one that I really, really uh, like is an answer that, um, that Gary Eyes gave um, about um, getting a snippet of video in search results. Google wants to show video, um, more dynamic, you get a lot more clicks. Um, probably they make a little bit more money on the ads they get shown with the video, et cetera, right? Right. Um, so how do you make that happen? How do you get that video snippet into your search results? Well, according to Gary E's, um, or Gary Eyes, you need to have it as um, part of your main body content. And it has to be fairly, fairly high up in the content. It doesn't have to be like the very first thing that loads has going to be the first thing that Google perceives on the page. But um, it should be in the user's face. Was in your, uh, face. In your face. That's pretty much what Gary <laughs> <your> said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In sounds, your like, face. sounds like something Gary might say. Um, yeah, just, he just he did. That was his quote. In their face right away. <clears throat> so. Um, there you go. Put the, uh, put the video high in the order. Um, make sure that it's not clunking out your page load speed. Um, could you, could you, okay. So could you put the video high up in the load order, but only have it load if like there's an interaction with it and still get the clip or would that kind of preclude, uh, you got the click, but you wouldn't probably get Google to. So well, you wouldn't you wouldn't get the clip in the search results if you no, needed you uh, user interaction to make the video run, right? Yeah, I'm gonna say Google's gonna determine because Google can follow the link as long as it's in the code. Now, if the link doesn't show up, it would never see it. Yeah, you see but that. They, Oops, yeah. Sorry. No, no, I was just say. So yeah, so I don't know though. It's the code. It's in the code, but it's not showing in the render right away. If Google's gonna consider it important enough, like it does with tab content. No, I think you're right. I think it's it's got to yeah. be in, it's got to be in both immediately on, on first glance. Um, yeah. And so that's a dev trick to get the video in, but not screw up load time. Well, there's um, also a way to pre to give like a preview load, so it only show like an image of the the screen, mm -hmm. and then when you click it, the, the video loads in. So then that changes your page load. And that would not, that would yeah. be good to get the clip um, up on the SERPs, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. And that's an acceptable way. There's a way to load in the, the code for that. Uh, and then uh, I don't know, 
because they've been back and forth about video schema. It used to be that the only way it would show up is if you had video schema. I don't see Gary talking about it here and I'd have to review to make sure that's still required, but it was required. I saw a client with 60,000 uh, visits a month and they couldn't figure out why and I went to their video and they removed their schema. And so Google wouldn't show it anymore. There's not many required schemas, but in this case, up until last time I checked like a month and a half ago, two months ago, it was required schema. I don't know if it's required to get the snippet in the search result, but um, if it involves schema, assume it's required because you're informing more than just, you know, a schema has uh, more roles than just this one snippet, like getting a, a video snippet in the SERP. Schema's got so many informative roles, eh? especially in a world moving into uh, into AI augmented search. It's got to learn. It's got to learn. Um, I'm sorry, it has to be fed rather than learn because uh, there's just so much information search engines are dealing with now. Um, you want to give it rather than, than assume it's going to discover is what I'm trying to say. And also it's clarification for the search engines. They don't have to try to figure out what your content is about if you told them what it is about. Yeah. Like your recipe, they don't have to try to figure out where's the instructions, where's the heating, where's the timing, where's the... If you put all that in there, then Google knows it is that. And then it also uses that with the knowledge graph and the semantic relationships. So, but do make sure you put the video schema in because even if it's not still required, I can't remember, I don't know because I saw a little kerfuffle online about something with video schema again recently and hadn't had a chance to get into it. Uh, you definitely want to put it in just to make it, Google will automatically know that it's video and it's video you want index. Okay. Um, also speaking to uh, search engine result page composition, um, you know when you get results that are sort of stacked on top of each other, you get like your main result and then it's sort of like a sub result that's sort of indented a little bit, but just underneath. That's really cool when that happens because you're taking up more space on the search engine results page. So you're like, yeah, I'm super SEO and I just knock my competition down a little bit. But that actually might be indicative of um, query cannibalization. And you don't necessarily get the double listing as a result of every query. You may in fact be getting fewer impressions and fewer clicks because of the cannibalization um you have you know two pages going after the same relative topical keyword but, keyword queries but, it may but, be indicative that you're creating a problem for yourself and you might want to consolidate those pages it may be although i rarely see it as actually not being different actual intents but i love what this comment and i i can't it's like a weird um comment name and one lss on search engine roundtable story of this um, he said it. He said it perfectly. Ah, oh, yes, I definitely want less screen real estate in an already overcrowded SERP. <laughs> I think that pretty much summarizes what most SEOs well, think. But again, this is all situational. Um, it, there's in an SEO, the, the the what's the greatest SEO answer of all time? It depends. Because <laughs> so um, because there's no one answer will will fit every scenario. So in some scenarios, yeah, the more real estate you take on the search engine results page, the better. In yeah. other scenarios, you might actually get more impressions and more clicks if you were more specific about your terms. The, you, you might get more impressions from that one page. You know what I mean? It might come up more frequently. But but I think it's I think it's a good suggestion to review your content, make sure you're not cannibalizing the content like you don't Absolutely. have to. Absolutely. But 
I just did a search for like, while we we're talking, video schema that Google requires. Mm -hmm. And I got an indebted result. <laughs> which was helpful. Got, yes, which I got on the, on the, on the, the uh, knowledge graph items video structured data, because both of them are about video and structured data. But one is about how to get videos in search. And the other is about learning how to do structured data in video. So they're not the same by any means. And so usually when I see an indented result, actually they're not the same. They just have similar um, queries related to them, but they're actually very different pages. So I don't know that you're losing anything by having the indented there because, yeah, no, I don't need that on your search, but sometimes the indented one is like a refined version of the top ones. Oh, indeed, indeed. Um, this is one of those things you want to, you want to look at and test. Um, I have a, uh, actually, I have a, a, a story, I, which would probably take about five minutes to tell in total, um, but it was a really cool exploration and uh, that was that was prompted by, by doing just regular, um, I was regular stat reporting out of uh, Search Console yesterday. Noticed a page that had dropped impressions, cut in half over a year's time. Um, I'm sorry, a website. Impressions cut over in half in a year's time. It all stemmed back to one craptastic page that was introduced about a year ago. We're talking like tens of thousands of impressions gone because of one page. This page cannibalizing off of a very similar page. They both lost everything. Um, cool to see. Now I know how to fix. But in the, these um, these scenarios happen. They do. Um, six H ones. Uh, I think it was like seventeen H twos or something like that. Um, they totally <laughs> totally disorganized what was otherwise amazingly good information. Yeah, organization is key. You know, people sometimes don't realize one of the best things you can do to a, a website uh, to make it do well in Google is just clarification and clarity. So your URL structure, make it clear. Your topical structure, make it clear. Make your pages clear on one topic, not multiple topics, unless it's like the group landing page, sub page. So the clearer you specify things on your site, the easier Google can understand what your site's about and what you want it to rank and the better the sites generally do. There is a long-term SEO argument about whether um, pages close to the root, close to the, um, in, as close to the index page, the, the, the home page as possible, have a better chance of ranking than pages down a level or two in, in the website hierarchy. Now, I fall on the latter camp. I strongly believe in website hierarchy. Um, I think that helps clarify um, the importance of pages. Um, and where Google should look for specific topical information. It makes it so much easier for Google Bing and other search tools. But almost every page you see out there right now with multiple products puts the products right at the root. Um, it's a yeah. long, long-term argument, which uh, we'll probably have several times in the future. But we've gone full clock. We can't actually have that argument right now because we're at the end of the oh, show. Darn it. I know. Well, it, just, you know it sneaks oh. up on you, doesn't it? It does. Well, I'm going to run a, a, a little experiment on that. So about two, three months, we can come back to that one. I'll tell you the results. Well, yeah, you'll be able to tell us the results of this specific instance, but we'll end up looking at it and going, yeah, well, you know, that depends. Yeah, <laughs> it always depends. Life um, depends. No, but you know what? I, I, I wish we could run experiment after experiment after experiment after experiment, because once you get a bulk of evidence one way or the other, um, that depends starts to lose a lot of its luster, eh? 
It does, it does. Actually, the more experience you get, the more you go. It doesn't really depend. I know the answer to that one. Yeah. But in SEO, every case is depends. Yeah, because there's yeah. so many, so many so, bricks in the Jenga puzzle. <laughs> yeah, so many variables. I mean, trying to explain to somebody that that Core Web Vitals, you could do the exact same page test on the exact same platform, GT Metrics, um, page speed, and say whatever. Test the same page three times in 50 minute intervals, and you'll get slightly different results each time. Sure. Just yeah. the nature of the beast. Yeah, because the internet connections aren't 100% all the time. Yeah, latencies and you know, all sorts of things come into um, Which, again, is why you should report from stuff like that if you're giving people a solid number. Probably report it from Search Console because. Mm -hmm. um well just because that's that's something that google says this is our number um you but can, that's only 75 percent of your actual visitors on their speed so yep. the, just just for my for the develop for the technical seo side i tell them to develop to the google spec of a slow 4g nexus 5x and test it there because once it works there at the right speeds for all the cwvs then it'll work everywhere and they won't have to worry about changing the user base changing their cwv scores although some of that's going away, so it won't matter. <laughs> so. Okay, folks, on that, we have actually really gone around four o'clock and then some. So on behalf of Christine Jacklinger from Sites Without Walls, this is Jim Hedge from Digital Always Media. You've been listening to Webcology recorded live to podcast on the 8th of June, 2023. Summer's almost here, so get out and enjoy yourself. And if you do get out and enjoy yourself and you're in the Northeast, wear an N95 mask, you don't want to be breathing that stuff in. Stay well, stay safe, be kind to each other, um, have have pride in your work and your society. And on uh, Christine and I will talk to you next week. Bye, everyone. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.